Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Welcome, listeners, back to a uh, another episode of The Voyages, a Star Trek podcast about the Kirks and their crews from the original series, the animated series, and the Kelvin films. I'm Chris Hill, um, and with me today is Allie Black and Mike Burst, as always. How are you guys doing today? Good, thank you. Pretty good, pretty good. Got the kids to bed. Thank God. And And he didn't have to use anything other than, you know, just soothing sounds of your voice, right? Uh, a little bit of whiskey mixed in with milk. You never know. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, th- I think this will, will qualify you as the bones of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Getting my four-year-old drunk on whiskey. <laughs> Sometimes I think about it. I say, yeah, before we uh, dive into our, our talk today about uh, Plato's stepchildren, we'll get the business out of the way so uh, to keep up with all of the the news and updates uh you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at the voyages pod and please also like subscribe and review on your podcatcher of choice and if you want to go ahead and subscribe unsubscribe resubscribe unsubscribe resubscribe just try to try to get our numbers up <laughs> every little bit helps <laughs> yes it does all right, so without much further ado, we'll go ahead and just dive right into uh, Plato's stepchildren. Now, um, for airing order, it was uh, season the th- uh, the twelfth episode of the ser- third season, but if you go on CBS All Access, it's actually the tenth episode from the third season, which is uh, something I I found out today when I was watching it watching it that way. It's listed on Wikipedia, too, as the 10th episode. Oh, okay. But I think it was the 12th in production, or there was something, some side note that they had put. Ten, yeah, it was uh, the 10th in uh, airing order and 12th in production. Ah. So that's where, where, you go, where we've got our little bit of discrepancy, but that's okay. Who wants to go ahead and uh, start, start, ta- or start our conversation off? Uh, so one interesting thing just about the production or the episode that I'd found out is that Leonard Neboy composed the song Spock sang. It was called Made in Wine. Yeah, I, I remember kind of hearing about that, um, but it's it's been a while. And so my that that's been or that was overtaken by new information. But but yeah, I, I really enjoyed that he helped out with the with that part of the production. He really surprised me. He had a beautiful singing voice. Yeah, he goes on to do, I think, a few albums of different things. Yeah. Including Bilbo Baggins. Yes, yes. And that, that was probably his more popular of of all of them. It's going to be on my regular um, rotation on my music player. <laughs> 
Now I'm gonna say if if you are gonna add anything from Shatner, I do not advise doing the uh, the the newer version of Rocket Man that he did. I much prefer when he was on the uh, the award show and did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say and uh, also uh, in this one, Sulu and Chekhov didn't appear, and it's I think it's like one of the only episodes where neither one of them are on. Yeah, it's pretty rare not to see either. And I did miss their appearances on this show. Yeah, that was one of the things well, when when we were writing or you know doing our collective notes here. That's one thing that I I tried to look for, and it's like, yeah, that's right, because uh, when they showed Scotty uh, on the ship while Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are down helping the the Platonians, uh, you see two different other two different people at the the helm and the nav. Yeah, I couldn't find anything as to why they weren't there, so whether it's scheduling or something else, but. <laughs> Very odd not to see either of them. Maybe they just maybe they got uh, severe food poisoning from craft services the week before. <laughs> I guess just a couple other points on kind of production end of things before we get too much into the story. So of course the interracial kiss between Kirk and O'Hara is the big thing from this episode. That's what really makes it essential to us, I think. And originally it was going to be Spock that was kissing O'Hara, but Shatner had that changed. Basically said, if anybody's going to kiss Nichelle, it's going to be Captain Kirk. I read that somewhere, too, recently. Yeah, like I said, it wouldn't surprise me at all, so. <laughs> Which I th- think maybe they were thinking Spock because he's an alien, so maybe they could get it past censors more. Because I also read that they did, like, 20, 30 takes of this, and they had one take where they yes. didn't actually touch and they threw it out because it was complete garbage. They <laughs> wouldn't work at all. Yeah, because because Shatner actually intentionally uh, messed up the take. Like they, I actually think they did most of the most of them where where they didn't kiss, where it was alluded to that they did. But he would mess up, like you know, he'd like cross his eyes or not look at the camera or just totally totally mess up the end of the end of that scene. And so that they had to use the kiss and. Um, well, it wasn't exactly the first interracial kiss on TV. It was the first scripted one, which it's still, still a first. And still quite a big production for the time. Yes. I had read that it was one of several episodes that was not screened by the BBC because of the quote unquote unpleasant content, including like the sadism and torture through the psychokinesis. Yeah, it took them a whole nother year or two before they'd actually air it. Mm-hmm. And um, so this was the last episode to have an original score as well. Budget cuts, obviously season three. Mm-hmm. And then Michael Dunn, who played Alexander, he's also considered to play Baylock in the Corbinite. Corbinite. I can never say the word Corbinite. <laughs> Corbinite. I never say it correctly. <laughs> Somebody else say it. Okay. The Corbamite Maneuver. There you go. <laughs> he was originally considered for that role. I did see a note somewhere, and I couldn't find anything more on it, that he was considered for the role of Spock really early on, when they're still deciding. And at one point, Spock was supposed to be kind of short and partly. Um, but it, I couldn't find more detail on that anywhere of of recognition. So. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say, and, and if that was the case, it'd be really weird seeing Dr. Loveless, you know, as Leonard Nimoy <laughs> yeah. from Wild Wild West. 
Yeah, it's really odd little footnote there that I that I saw. One thing I really liked about this episode, um, it's not going to be in my top 10 favorites, I'm sorry. But I do find it is essential um, original series, just not only because of the three of them together, but um, I, I really liked, especially Kirk's line at the beginning when he said to Alexander, size, shape, or color makes no difference. You know, and, and I think that still carries on to today. I really liked how they they played the episode. It wasn't when Kirk met Alexander, there was no like, oh, you're short. He didn't look at him differently. He didn't like get down to his level and make a big deal about it. He just treated no. him like a normal person. It was really well yeah. done. And you could see the look, uh, the acting was well done on Alexander's part too, because the his facial expressions, the the way he received, the way Kirk was treating him, it was awesome. Yeah, and you know, considering you know how sh- how short uh, he is in real life, that you know, I'm sure there are people who would you know stoop down and 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 talk to him the same way. And I don't I don't think he expected Shatner to to do do the same you know while acting, and I think that's part of what helped bring the the realism in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for all the <clears throat> all the joking people do about Shatner and all his his flaws and everything, really is a really great actor and. And like between the making sure this interracial interracial kiss happened and just how he deals with the actor that's Alexander, it's just uh, just really solid. Those interactions were my favorite part of the whole episode. Yeah, because it would be really easy for it to kind of devolve into like treating him like a child, but it doesn't at any point. Mm-hmm. Or even when he's standing up for him, he's not pointing out the fact that he's different, other than the fact that he didn't have the psychokinesis to use. And and I really like how how uh, Bones was able to to determine exactly why Alexander wasn't able to to pick up the the same effects from from the local uh, plant life there, and I forget did he did he did wind up getting that corrected right? Yep, yeah, he got that correct, and it, it's funny how they did it too because it was almost like a footnote. It was just almost a passing line in the episode. They didn't make a big deal of it at all. But then again, they also took him up to the back, back up to the ship to to join him. So yeah, it's too bad we never saw anything more from that character. Heard about what happened to him. That would have been really cool. Maybe he's going to join the uh, the Stonewall. Maybe <laughs> that's a good idea. That would be a good idea. Not sure what what role we could have for him, but we'll we'll figure out something. I'm sure he could be like Neelix, the ambassador. Morale officer and ambassador. <laughs> except except not as creepy. And don't go knocking my Neelix. I love him. <laughs> Neelix really grew on me. And actually, that, that kind of segues me into a point I wanted to make, that this episode, in a way, and I know this might sound far-reaching to some, but it reminded me of the Thaw from Voyager when Janeway faces fear. Um, just because they had the, a bit of the over-the-top movements and they're all dancing and, you know, they're making, forcing uh, Captain Kirk and them to dance and they still had to to face their villain when they were being controlled by their minds. Yeah, that's a good point. I can see, I can see that. Yeah. Well, and you get another classic Spock McCoy piece in there after McCoy cures the, the quote God. Spock tells him, "Doctor McCoy, you may yet cure the common cold." <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which which lets us know that in 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 the the twenty third century they haven't 
quite gotten that figured out or no, yeah 23rd century they haven't quite figured out the common cold yet but but it struck me for people that wanted to model themselves after uh plato and have their civilization they sure were very selfish yes yes they were and not adhering at all to to the original principles nope. set forth can we draw a parallel to today yeah. <laughs> it kind of comes back around to what comes up a lot in the original series that uncontrolled power turns everyone and even saints into savages yeah you always get down to the mm-hmm. lowest common denominator of behavior if you have uncontrolled power yeah and and you know drawing it back to to the to the pilot for for this iteration you know absolute power corrupting absolutely yes. yeah it's a definite recurring theme because even expacied with con absolute power again corrupting absolutely so just a, a common theme that keeps coming up over and over. Well, now I can't stop thinking about uh, Alexander being on the stone wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you can write some notes down as we're talking, and, <laughs> and we can we can bring those in in a couple weeks when we when we go back to the writers' room. That sounds good. So, anything else uh, we really want to draw from to to further cement this as uh, as an essential episode i think just the fact that kirk didn't leave alexander behind and i think that kind of showed alexander you know this is what starfleet is this is what we do we don't leave people behind we care about you doesn't matter what you look like um and i, I think the interplay between spock bones and kirk uh, it always makes it essential those three yeah i think kirk really he shows Alexander what Starfleet, what humanity is supposed to be all about when he doesn't let him kill uh, Parman and he asks if he wants to be like him. And he tells him that to us, killing for murder, killing is murder, murder even for revenge. So there's no, there's no allowable way to just kill someone. Uh, so I think it really also shows Alexander what kind of people they are and makes him want to go with them even more. Yeah. That made me want to go and join them too. Yeah, I can say yeah. Anyone who who watched this episode, I think would want would have wanted to join join with Kirk and, and and company if if not Starfleet on the whole. Until until they realized that not all ships are like like the <laughs> some are like the Cerritos. <laughs> yeah. Well, even all the the acting in this, how hard it must have been for, especially Shatner, to do all the physical pieces to it where he's being controlled he's got to act like a horse and mm-hmm. yeah that was that was pretty incredible i've never heard a horse sound like the the, the noises shatner made <laughs> i don't know where he was pulling that from unless we're claiming that this is more of like an alien Space horse, horse. <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking the same thing watching it like that's not a horse but okay we'll go with it <laughs> Maybe that's why Shatner got into to horses later in life, so that way he could be like, oh, that's what they sound like. <laughs> yeah, and I guess, I mean, getting back to what makes this essential to us, it, it all kind of revolves around that uh, uncontrolled power corrupting, and um, like Alexander says, despite their brains, they're the most contemptible things that ever lived in the universe. So that's just a, a reoccurring theme that comes up a lot in this really bonks it on the head for this episode into season three i think it's unfortunate that this was a season three episode so by then they were cutting the 
the budgets and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably would have got a little bit more love had it been earlier on in this series. I can say for for me with with this one, it's not. I mean, yeah, it it, it does lay it on pretty heavy. You know, you're you're supposed to treat everybody as equals, no matter what they look like. But still, not as heavy as let that be your last battlefield. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I just go back to the way that Kirk and Spock and McCoy all deal with Alexander. He doesn't, they don't treat him any different than any other person. It's just how they handled that really made this episode, because if they did have it be about his dwarfism and and made that a big central piece for the characters to focus on. I think it would have really ruined this. And this episode could have gone into farcical territory pretty easily. Yeah. So some would say it already did, but not us. No. Cause that, that's just, that's just part of the, the, the charm that is season three of the original Tweedle series. Tweedle dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I, I like how, how, uh, when they're give, getting the, the gifts, uh, McCoy just kind of slowly rolls it, rolls up the, the the Hippocrates scroll and then just closes it like, okay, this really is Greek to me. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. But overall, like I said, it's probably not going to be on my top ten list, but it is a really good essential um, original series show to watch and get a really good feel for what um, what they're all about. Definitely. And I do like that that we do have more, or that, that uh, Ahura and Chapel both have at least a little bit more to do in in this one compared to some of the previous episodes they were in. Um, and I think I think another reason that that Shatner decided, hey, you know, actually have them make me kiss Ahura, is because he's like, you know, didn't you guys have scenes with with Chapel kind of chasing Spock? you know, last season. So wouldn't it make more sense that they would be able to see into both of their minds and realize that there was some sort of attention there. Mm -hmm. I was really excited to see Majel come on screen. I always am when she does though. Yeah, they definitely did bring that up from time to time. Chapel and Spock. I mean, it's too bad. I, again, with the budget cuts in season three, maybe we would have seen more of that in different areas. Yeah. But Majel's always great to see on screen. Definitely. And and also sort of doing more within the ship itself too, kind of seeing different areas and I'd say kinda kinda of, kinda of like maybe even have a have a lower decks type episode where we see, you know, where they, they barely interact with, you know, our main three and just kinda of show what, what life is like, you know, outside of what we generally see. You can't see me, but I'm nodding my head. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. I think I think right now I'm the only one with 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 the camera that's working. So. Yeah. These. So in terms of the remastering of this episode too, there wasn't much for them to remaster. They only really did no. a couple shots. Originally, the planet looked kind of like Mars, but they changed it and they remastered to look a lot more like Earth. Yeah, I'm gonna say more more around the the Mediterranean area too, if I remember how the how the continents look. Yeah, on much that. more like that. And then McCoy's tricorder scan—they made it very much like the um, 
the dials in sick bay originally and it was just static but they went back in in the remastered version and put an animated graphic on that screen but other than that that's pretty much all they touched in this episode there weren't many special effects shots it was all pretty much contained yeah i can say um i think they also might have had to remove some of the wires from uh from the shield and the the liar and the uh scroll too oh right yep but yeah it was, it was pretty pretty low effects and e- even though you know you were on a you had a planet and you had the planet scene in the bridge set it was really fairly a, a fairly bottle type episode yeah and looking at the um the plutonians parman i mean he was a jerk <laughs> but Definitely. i found that what was her name Philana, if that's how you pronounce it i think that's yeah i think so she was just evil <laughs> just her looks and yeah she definitely got a lot of pleasure out of doing all these terrible things i just thought she was that much more than him and the way that that the other plutonians kind of sat in around and and watched just kind of shows that you know even though they weren't as powerful as 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 their leader they were still sort of maniacal and and evil okay i was just gonna say the one thing that kind of bothered me a little bit about this episode was for all of their uh, wisdom and knowledge they and all of the food that they've eaten from the planet, they couldn't have figured out what would have helped him with his infection. Yeah. <laughs> well, it just seems like they've become, it's almost like a mob mentality at some point. They're all just mm-hmm. sitting behind him and they've had everything come to them so easily. And they've got Alexander there to do their bidding whenever they feel like it. They just, in some senses, you, you end up getting lazy. Yeah, I think is what, and that comes yeah. up a lot in the original series too. That if there's no challenges, eventually you just you don't need that part of your brain to really think for you. Well, a classic example was Spock's brain, with the uh, yeah. with yeah. the women on the planet. Yeah, and just sort of a, a note, real quick on uh, Falana. I knew she looked familiar from 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 the original series, and she was in uh, A Taste of Armageddon as uh, May Three. Oh yeah, now I see the resemblance. So I I, I just had to look that up real quick because it's the first chance I'd gotten to actually look after seeing it. Yeah, it's funny how they they had some actors that popped up two or three times in the original. Any other thoughts before we get into our our final thoughts here? It was a really uh, jam-packed episode of race and appearances and... Yeah, an adversity. And I said one one of the things that that I like from this one is that we get so many different gifs from it for from Kirk. <laughs> you know, between him slapping himself and and him starting to act like a horse. I think the the slapping one is the best one. Oh, I always can use that one. But actually, I'm going back to how the Plutonians are basically jerks. <laughs> Like they have those yes. big chess mm-hmm. pieces, and they have telekinetic powers, but they still got Alexander to move them for them in some cases. Like that just further illustrates their contempt for him, and they just don't care about him whatsoever. And their false sense of authority. 
uh, we do get a bit of Shakespeare in here as well from uh, Sonnet 57, if I'm reading my Roman numerals correct. Oh, right. Yes, we do. Yep, yep. Be- being your slave, what should I do but tend upon the hours and times of your desire? I have no precious time at all to spend, nor service to do till you. And that's that's the quote that I've got. <laughs> At least they know they're Shakespeare. Is the time or the years right though? Because if they left around the time of Plato, Shakespeare wouldn't have been born yet. Well, um, Kirk is reciting it while un- under Parman's power. One of those nitpicky Star Trek fan things. Do the years yeah. line up? I don't think they do. <laughs> When have they ever lined up? <laughs> when do they line up on humans? But is it canon? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> My cannons! <laughs> Just make up some head cannon and move on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that, that that's the beauty of uh, of Star Trek, too, is because with, with so many iterations and, and changes in designs, you actually do get to be a part of it, you know, shaping it into... How you can make it all one flowing story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think sometimes people forget that it's a TV show. It's, I mean, it's such a big universe and people are so into the universe that they want it to be real, right? And you forget that it is actually just a TV show. So, not yeah, every, like that's where your headcanon comes in. You make up some pieces of the story to connect it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the way that I've got it is from, you know, with with Enterprise, they they had the the augment virus that smoothed out the foreheads, and the way that I I you know work the Discovery Klingons in is that those Klingons somehow weren't affected by the same augment virus, and so we've still got both you know the flatheads and and the ridges, and by the time we reach the motion picture, they've been able to to reverse the the augment virus effects. Yeah, it really just comes down to it's it's a piece of entertainment. So find a way to make it entertaining. If they tried to make it true to life, it would get pretty boring. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the Klingons actually might have, you know, tentacles instead of hands. <laughs> Not everybody looks like a human. It's fun to get into all the technical aspects and all of the appearances and everything. But at the end of the day, I mean, there is diversity in human life. Why wouldn't there be diversity in the universe? And exactly. It's entertainment, you know, it's a Klingon. Yeah, you know, I I I'm sure sure the Saurians have more than just brandy that they're known yeah. for. I'm sure they've got rum <laughs> and, and ale. Well, I think that's the when you're looking at all the iterations of Star Trek and when you look at TOS specifically because they were limited with budgets and and the effects of the time the stories had to be there. Like even in this case Plato's stepchildren, this the core story is around everybody's these the same should be treated the same and also the again the absolute power corrupt and absolutely so they had to get these core pieces of story in there that affected the characters mm-hmm. so it really it comes back to the characters for star trek like the newer versions have the fancy effects and everything but where they're at their best is when the story is core to the characters 
Yeah, and it is 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 those quieter moments, you know, without without as much of the the effects where you know you get to dig into the character. Well, that's the thing. Don't take it that as seriously as you know the writing on this Enterprise was two millimeters off of the writing on that Enterprise. Why get upset? Enjoy it for the story that it is. Exactly. I don't know. That'd piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now we're not talking about the models you make yourself, okay? <laughs> but there's something for everyone, which is great. Yeah, and and like like our our guest last week, Larry Nemechek says, you know, canon is more like you know the the guardrails on a highway. You know, when you get more highway, you have to expand the guardrails a little mm-hmm. bit. That's a great analogy. It's 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 not it's not to where you know you're confined to this little box. It's a highway that keeps moving and growing. Mm-hmm. Well, like what I found here is when I go to the U.S. on the interstates, the shoulders are really small sometimes. In Canada, we have these yeah. giant shoulders you can park on and stuff. So there's lots of room. And there's lots of room in Star Trek to either go right out of canon and do something crazy and break the guardrail or just kind of sit on the edge of the shoulder there and, and play with uh, the different aspects and see what you can get in your head cannon. Exactly. It's my attempt at a good metaphor. Not sure it worked. I liked your metaphor. Not colorful enough. Going to offend all the Americans there that I don't like their <laughs> interstates. <laughs> Trust me, I I don't even like like our our major highways because we've I've got one uh, that we have to turn off on onto our our road, and they don't even have a turn lane for to get onto our road, so. I usually try try to avoid it as much as so I can. So you have to barrel down a highway and then come to a fairly quick stop just to turn? Just about. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds exciting. <laughs> yeah, and and uh normally I if if I'm coming from up up north of us, I, I kinda check to see if there's anything that's gonna be coming as I'm about to, to hit the turn onto there. And if not I just go in town and drive by the high school, so Fair enough. Well, we're on tangents about American highways. We went down to Virginia <laughs> Beach with my daughter last year for a dance competition. And never fails with her. Oh, yeah. You gotta stop every, like, half an hour because she's gotta pee. And it would always <laughs> be, we'd get on the interstate, we would just, there'd be a gas station and everything, we'd get it back on the interstate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gotta go pee again. And there's no shoulder you can't stop on, so you gotta <laughs> no. find somewhere to get off when you're in the middle of Pennsylvania and the in the hills there. I guess say yeah, but at least it's not here. At least here in America, it's not like you know those mountain paths in in you know India and Pakistan and Afghanistan where you can barely get a, a full sized vehicle and down 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 the one lane. That would be a little frightening. Yeah, that's a definite plus of being in America. <laughs> And hey, we we can we can piss off the rest of the British Empire too, and say drive on the on the correct side of the road. You guys are driving on the wrong side. <laughs> so clearly, we have a lot more thoughts about Plato's stepchildren. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I figure if if Kyle and Katie can go down Tangent City every now and again, so can we. <laughs> Perfectly allowed to. So, any other uh, tangents we want to go on that that can we can, we can somehow tie into Plato's stepchildren? <laughs> no, I think I've I've said my piece about this episode. Okay, Mike. Well, for all the slapping that Kirk did to himself, he really should have had a red cheek. 
This this is true. This is Come on, true. realism here. Or at least next episode, he should have had like ice on his cheeks. Or you know, when he got back to the bridge, you know, McCoy handed like, "Hey, you you might need this." <laughs> that would have been good. Starfleet issued ice packs. Yeah, nice little delta on there. It's like the boots on the Cerritos. Yeah. Which, you know, I think it's now now my headcanon that actually all Starfleet boots have it, but they we just we just couldn't actually see it. I don't know if that works, though, because of all those dropkicks Kirk did, you never saw the imprint of the Delta on any of the aliens. Maybe it was not designed for to, to do imprints on, on clothes and, and aliens. I'm really skin. making you think here now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I figured that was a pretty quick comeback either way, so... <laughs> And now I've got everybody was Kirk Fu fighting in my head. Thank you for that, <laughs> worm. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer. List other available Holosuite media programs. Loading Holosuite preview program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. And Baz Greenland is a first-time commenter. Baz, that's why I asked if you were a first-time commenter, because we sing first-time commenter for first-time commenters. So welcome. Yes. Baz says, loved it. Freed from the restraints of continuity, it looks as if Discovery can really let loose. It looked stunning, and Sonequa Martin-Green delivered her best performance on the show yet. I agree, and that's saying a lot, because she's she's delivered some damn fine performances. Loading Holosuite preview program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. Before that timepiece stopped working. Mm-hmm, that really because ugly, he saw it in the shop window. That really ugly timepiece. When I first watched it, I thought, okay, yes, this is a clock that maybe somebody puts on their desk or mm-hmm. on a wall somewhere. But later we see somebody pull the same thing out of their pocket. Do they not have watches? <laughs> yeah. oh, it's like one of those like huge clunky mobile phones that all they ever did was like call people. It's like, nope, this is just a big clock for my pocket. It's something that Flavor Flav should be wearing around his neck. It's that big and obnoxious. Is that a clock in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> oh, no, no, it's it's just a clock. It's most definitely a clock. <laughs> <laughs> Loading Holosuite preview program for What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Well, here's here's the thing, though, okay? This is very prescient. Because right. this presents us with a future where people are isolated and disconnected. Yep. This was written and filmed before, before. the pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, Brandy. This is the this is this is I mean, I, this is the universe saying we need this art mm-hmm. in this world right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.